Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper. And it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can find All it takes is faith. Well, if it isn't the star-spangled man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think that happiest thought, and let's fly away with me, your head lost boy Jeremy, also known as the Spider Pan. And yes, you too can have your own official nickname by visiting our website, NeverlandPodcast.com. Go to that Neverlanders page, choose a nickname that suits you, because all Lost Boys have to have a nickname, and all of our Pixies have nicknames as well, because we don't have any Lost Girls here. Girls are too clever. They don't get lost. Also, make sure you visit us on iTunes, or I guess it's Apple Podcasts now. Leave us a nice review over there. Heck, leave us a nice review anywhere you find the show. That always helps us out. Visit our Patreon page, which, of course, you can find that link on the website and help us out there. We appreciate your support. You can get an ad-free version of the show simply by donating even only a dollar on Patreon to help support the show. Uh, I've got something special for you this week because I'm going to help celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing by having Jim Corcus with us today. Jim Corcus is gonna talk about the visionary that Walt Disney and his team were when it came to reaching the moon and space travel and what the possibilities were with rocketry. It's a great conversation and we always learn a lot from Jim Corcus. He's got a brand new book. He's gonna tell you all about it. I will make sure I get some links for you in the show notes so you can go and pick up a copy. He's even got another book he's working on. It'll be out very soon. So we'll have him on again this summer. In fact, probably by next month. But here we go. Let's just jump right into a fun conversation with Jim Corcus. To Disney and beyond. 
All right, we have a returning guest, and this is exciting and fun because this is how we learn all the stuff that we didn't know. Because we had Jim Corkus with us back in January. We learned all about the St. Louis Park that was almost built, and I knew nothing, but I learned more even than I could have bargained for. So <laughs> there's more stories to be told, and so we welcome back Jim Corkus because he's got a brand new book and even more stories to tell us. Hi, Jim! Hi, Jeremy. It, it, thank you again for uh, inviting me back, and uh, hello to all the, the listeners. It, it, it's always exciting to me to uh, share stories with uh, those Disney fans who are uh, interested in, in learning this information, because uh, when it comes to uh, Disney history, uh, a lot of it was just oral history. It, it mm -hmm. was just passed along uh by the people who were involved in the project or whatever, because at, at Disney, people are just so busy, there's never enough time to write it down and document it because you're jumping to the next project, which is already behind deadline. <laughs> so, 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 so you have to do that. So yeah. uh, it's always exciting to, to, for me to, to share this uh, uh, information with um, those people uh, out there who are big Disney fans, so they can uh, uh, pass along these uh, uh, stories. And and in fact, uh, what has happened is I'm I've become so concerned that a lot of these stories are getting lost that uh, I, I've decided to try and put some of these down in uh, print. And and even I don't have all the information. You know, there's always more information out there. There's always more to the story, but I figure if I share what information I have, um, maybe that will help, and maybe that will help others uh, uh, come out of the woodwork with uh, uh, some of the stories that they have. Yep, the more stories that get out there that get printed, the more that we can always go back to these stories. We have it documented, so we're not just you know losing it, because you know, all the people who worked with Walt were losing them all. And if they haven't gotten their stories written down, when they die, all their stories go with them. They, a, absolutely. And, and, and recently we've had uh, uh, some people pass away who were in the middle of, of actually writing a book. Uh, Marty Scalar was one. Uh, Jack Lindquist was one. Charlie Ridgway uh, was another. And, and so that's heartbreaking, uh, too, that they were in the middle mm. <laughs> of, of sharing stories and uh, in the case of the Marty Scalar book, they, he was far enough along that they were able to um, uh, finish the book, and so that'll be coming out this fall. And, and we're just uh, flooded with so many terrific uh, Disney books out there, and mm -hmm. um, uh, even more uh, uh, to come. So I, I'm, I'm grateful that you're giving me the opportunity to uh, promote my recent book, Secret Stories of Extinct Disneyland, which is available at Amazon.com and ThemeParkPress.com, uh, which covers um, uh, the stories of uh, uh, Disneyland. There's over 80 uh, two-page chapters of uh, attractions and uh, restaurants and stores and uh, uh, shows and all that were there at Disneyland that uh, so many people just took for granted were always going to be there, you know, but, but Disney theme parks are constantly uh, changing. They're yeah. constantly uh, 
Uh, uh, Walt Disney World out here is a is a wonderful example of that. And 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 while people concentrate on things like uh, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that that's going to be opening, or or the new Skyliner gondolas mm-hmm. and whatever, uh, people weren't paying attention that in uh, Tomorrowland. Uh, the Metrophone booth is gone, and the little robot uh, newspaper vendor at the, at the uh, bottom of the people mover has been removed. And they're even and, replacing the entryway now. Yes. So, and, uh, you know, so, you know, those who, those of us who think, oh, well, you know, we're experts. We, we know, how, you know, how to, uh, you know, the parks are, are changing so much. It, it, it's hard to keep up with that. And yeah. I, again, I'm a, uh, I was originally a uh, California boy. I grew up in uh, Glendale, California, which, which is really only about 40 minutes drive away from uh, uh, Disneyland in Anaheim. And so uh, I visited uh, Disneyland as a, a, as a kid, as, as a teenager, a, a, as an adult. And again, I, I just took it all for granted, yes, Disneyland. You know, I, I should have been taking notes. I should have been taking photos, but um, you know, oftentimes the uh, first time you went to Disneyland or the first time you went to Walt Disney World, that that is the image that stays in your mind, that stays in your heart of, mm-hmm. of that particular park. But again, it's. They're different parks today. Yeah. So I, I felt it was important to uh, uh, get some of that information down there because uh, uh, for some people, you know, uh, their their memory of Disneyland was seeing the uh, uh, Chicken of the Sea uh, uh, pirate ship restaurant in, in Fantasyland or, or riding on the uh, uh, pack mules in Frontierland, and, and the pack mules would – snap at kids uh you know shoes and uh, <laughs> urinate you know? <laughs> well because they, they they're they're not ride vehicles they're yeah. actually you know uh animals and and sometimes they would decide not to move and sometimes oh, they no. would decide to try and move in a different direction than <laughs> than the than the pathway you have and uh, uh fortunately I, I was also able to interview um uh, two of the young ladies who were mermaids in the wow. submarine uh, uh, lagoon at, at Disneyland in 1959. They had live mermaids uh, in the submarine lagoon to help promote, uh, uh, you know, the uh, big opening of the first three e-ticket attractions: the submarine voyage and the and the monorail and the Matterhorn bobsled. So uh, they were in there, and then they disappeared, but People miss them so much that mm-hmm. for the tencennial in 1965, they brought back the mermaids, and, and they were there for uh, 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 three more years um, uh, until, you know, they did that whole transformation at Tomorrowland in 67. And so I got to interview a mermaid in 19, from 1959 and, and one from uh, 1966, and, you know, what was that experience like, and, you know, uh, did Walt Disney, you know, talk with you and all that? And I, I, I was able to introduce, uh, in, interview two of the uh, uh, Space Girls. When Tomorrowland opened in 55, they had a spaceman and a space girl huh. uh, walking around uh, uh, Tomorrowland to interact with uh, uh, the guests. 
and and that was uh, quite an experience. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but again, these are are things that that people are forgetting. They they're forgetting that Disneyland used to have a uh, a helicopter uh, port right behind Tomorrowland, and so you could take a helicopter from uh, uh, L.A. Uh, International Airport to Disneyland. Wow. And back. And, and the heliport was also used for um, uh, military craft and uh, VIP craft. So when uh, uh, John F. Kennedy came to visit, his helicopter landed there at, at the Disneyland heliport. Wow. Uh, so, you know, these are things like people who grew up uh, during a certain time period, you know, they 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 saw all that. They they went to the Tahitian Terrace in in Adventureland and and saw the Polynesian Dance Review and and they they saw that the stage was actually this waterfall and the waterfall would part like a curtain for the show to go on. Cool. And uh, yes, and and then would uh, would come and and you'd see uh, uh, fire dancers and they'd twirl fire sticks and things like this and uh, uh pretty young ladies would in, invite up uh, embarrassed uh, fathers on stage and put a hula skirt on them and <laughs> teach them how to do the hula and uh, all of this and and so when we think of uh, uh Disneyland you know this is uh, for some people these are the 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 memories that uh uh come flooding back and and then again as i said things are disappearing all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you, so I thought it was important to, to get some of this stuff down in print, uh, and not only for, for people today to enjoy and, and to, uh, stir up some memories from people who had uh, been to the park, uh, but to use as, uh, uh, research for, for future writers, because, uh, I, I see a lot of stuff out there that's that's just wrong or misleading mm -hmm. or you know they've they've blurred uh, certain things uh, together. You know, I I run into that as a Disney historian when when I interview people who worked at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, I find that sometimes their um, uh, memories just sort of blur together. So yeah. when I was uh, interviewing S Sully Sullivan, who was one of the Jungle Cruise uh, skippers in 1955 at Disneyland, and so I wanted to uh, really get down his thoughts about, you know, the early Jungle Cruise and all that, he, he, he's starting to talk about, well, there's this uh, temple that has the tiger with the flashing eyes. And I said, Sully, that's Walt Disney World. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that, that's that's nineteen that's nineteen seventy one, and that wasn't there at, at at Disneyland, you know, and yeah. and and Walt Disney World's uh, Space Mountain has two tracks and is is bigger, you know, and and Disneyland just has one track in its Space Mountain, and and actually uh, they had to put the foundations, they had to dig down into the ground because. Uh, they didn't want Space Mountain towering over uh, Main Street at, uh, mm. at at Disneyland. Yeah, I don't so, want to ruin the uh, illusion. 
it ruined it ruined the illusion. And 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 again, you know, I also wanted to to cover uh, uh, shows like uh, at, at Disneyland. They had you know uh, circus fantasy and uh, state fair. I, this was all golden horseshoe. Yeah, you, you know, to 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 bring people in. You know, even over the. Uh, um, uh, in the off season, there is no off season at Disney <laughs> right. Park anymore. Uh, and, and Disney Afternoon Avenue, you know, um, mm, yeah, where, where they had that. That, they they did that out in front of uh, 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 it's a small world. So, uh, what would you like to talk about about uh, uh, extinct Disneyland? Well, Walt was clearly a futurist. And mm-hmm. definitely had had a vision of what the future could be in space, uh, and you know, even having like rides that were a trip to the moon, uh, and heck, and even Tomorrowland, and even in Walt Disney World, they, they used to have a oh, I can think of what it's called. I think Horizons, where they had the song Tomorrow's mm-hmm. Child, and this vision of yes. us populating space. So Walt had this grand vision of the future. Yes, yes. In, in fact, when Disneyland opened in uh, uh, 1955, Walt saw it as the world of tomorrow, the world of 1986, which is when Halley's Comet would be uh, uh, coming back. And Halley's Comet uh, traditionally was a a time period of uh, of when it returns usually indicates a a sense of change and and all of that. Walt um, was already, you know... um, uh, running his own uh, animation studio, uh, basically, and and uh, it was almost thirty years old. You know when when things like uh, Flash Gordon and mm. Buck Rogers came out. So he he never really uh, captured that sense of uh, science fantasy. He he was always interested in new technology. You know he was interested in, in that that future that was you know just around the corner. Yeah, and uh, of course, when he did his ABC uh, TV show, uh, which premiered in 1954, he wanted the TV show uh, to reflect uh, his theme park. You know, to get people interested. So uh, Disneyland the show and Disneyland the park were going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And so Walt was going to have one week would be dedicated to Fantasyland. So he'd be uh, running some of the uh, uh, cartoons from the uh, uh, Disney Library because remember this is in the days before VCRs right. and DVDs and all of this, so you could only see one of those cartoons if it got re-released to theaters. So this was a, bi- a big deal. And for uh, the week that was uh, for Adventureland, run excerpts from uh, the True Life Adventure films, the award-winning films that. Uh, you know, uh, he had uh, made, and uh, then when it came to uh, Frontierland, uh, there were some Western-oriented cartoons like uh, 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 Pecos, Pecos Bill, Bill or, yeah. or, or or the or the Chipmunks as the Lone Chipmunks. <laughs> but, but again, in the fifties, this is the time of westerns on TV. Yeah. So there there's a lot of western costumes and actors and props and all that you can use, and live action is just tremendously quick, you yeah. know, to film quicker than animation. So 
you know, you can do something, uh, you know, in live action. So, of course, you know, going with Davy Crockett and then that was going to spin off into uh, other, uh, you know, uh, Western uh, uh, characters, although Davy Crockett became so popular that they had to do more Davy Crockett. Um, but the, the challenge Walt had was Tomorrowland, there's nothing, you know. There were no films. There were no cartoons that were outer space oriented, whatever. He's got to start from, from scratch. And so yeah. he, he's sitting down and thinking, well, what can, what can we do? Maybe we can do a, a show about uh, chemistry. Maybe we can do a, a show about uh, the history of aviation, you know. And uh, basically, you know, Walt was getting frustrated because none of this really was, you know, this is tomorrow, you know. And so Ward Kimball, uh, he had moved Ward Kimball from being an animator over into uh, directing. And and Kimball was reading um, articles that appeared in a magazine called Collier's. Collier's was a, a, a weekly mag- magazine. It's long gone, but it was a weekly magazine, very, very popular. It had a weekly readership of three to four million people. Wow. Yes. And so one of the things Collier's did is they contacted uh, some of the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, space scientists, because at the time, uh, in the 50s, uh, the U.S. was experimenting with rocketry, but, but not very successfully. Things were blowing up on the launch pad and, and all of that. And so scientists like Werner von Braun and uh, Willie Ley and Heinz Haber and, and all of this saw this as a wonderful opportunity to, you know, write these articles about you know, we can go into space because the U.S. was looking at rockets not as going into space, but as weapons, you know, because that's how it had they been used in World War II. Yeah. So let's get better rockets for better weapons as opposed to let's send a man out into space, let's send a man into the moon. And so these scientists were writing these articles to try and convince the American public, you know, talk to your government. We should be exploring outer space because this is going to offer, you know. And so uh, uh, Kimball was always interested in outer space. He was always interested uh, in UFOs. We we could probably even do an entire show about um, uh, uh, Kimball and UFOs. He (laughs) he would even host uh, parties at his uh, house and invite uh, uh, scientists from Caltech and, and, and all these other uh, people to sit and talk about the possibilities of, you know, UFOs. So anyway, Kimball had been reading these articles and he took them to Walt and he said, maybe this is where we should be going. And uh, Walt took a look at that. And what he did is he went over to a pad of paper and ripped off um, a, a sheet of paper, handed it to Kimball, and said, write your own check. <laughs> and everybody in the room, their eyes, you know, they went out of their body, their mouths dropped. Because Walt never said that, because Walt was always so worried about uh, budget, because he had to, 
to pay salaries. He had to keep the studio going and, and the whole bit. And in fact, um, ABC had only guaranteed um, to uh, uh, pay fifty thousand uh, dollars an episode for uh, for the Disney uh, TV series, which w- was again a tremendous amount of money. Walt spent over sixty five thousand on each episode Oof. because he filmed it in color instead yeah. of in black and white, and, and the quality and whatever. The very first Tomorrowland episode cost $250,000. Wow. Well, because, again, you know, you've got to start from scratch. And so one of the first things Kimball did was Kimball brought in the the guys who were writing for, you know, Colliers. So Von Braun and Lay and uh, Haber and all this and brought them in and figured what we're going to do is we're going to take these facts and then being Disney, we're going to make this entertaining because Disney had, had really done training films in, in world war two. And then mm-hmm. later, uh, when world war two, uh, ended in, uh, 45, they started doing, uh, uh, educational films and commercial films for, for, uh, companies like general motors and Johnson and Johnson and all that, where they would take the basic facts but but do it through Disney animation and Disney humor and, and all this. So it became, you know, accessible uh, to a, a, a general audience. And yeah. so and so Kimball was putting together the, this show and Walt would keep coming by to see, you know, what the process was. And uh, Walt said, oh, you got enough material here for two shows. So make two shows. And what we'll do is we'll combine them together, and I'll I'll release them as a theatrical feature over in Europe, so we can get back you know some of the money. <laughs> and as Walt kept coming in, he goes, "You got enough here for three shows," <laughs> and 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 so it, 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 so three shows were done. One one was called Man in Space, which introduced uh, the history of rocketry, and. Um, you know, how would you go about building a rocket, and do we have the technology now uh, to do that? And, you know, let's get a, a rocket up there. And then the um, second show, Man in the Moon, which was later uh, called Tomorrow the Moon, uh, when it was uh, in reruns, um, was about building a space station in space. And then uh, in, in those days, you didn't think about, you know, sending a rocket from Earth to the moon, what you did is you'd fire off the rocket from the space station towards the moon. Yeah. And it went to the moon, and it it, it did an orbit of the, the moon. And then, of course, everybody's favorite show was the third show, which was more fanciful, which was Mars and Beyond, which which talked about the superstitions and the and the history of, of Mars and, and all this, and then went into the... Uh, uh, factual discussions of, you know, could there be life on Mars? Was there once life on Mars? You know, what would it be like if we went to Mars? Um, you know, and that was, I, I talked about $250,000 for man in space. For Mars and beyond, it cost $450,000. Wow. Because, again, they couldn't use any live action. Yeah. There was no live action. There was no pictures of Mars. They were like, you know, so all of that had to be done uh, through uh, uh, animation. And um, when Man in uh, Space was released in um, 
1955, you had over 40 million people watching the very first airing of it. In fact, it was so popular that it was rerun three times that year. Wow. And, and then Walt cut it down to 33 minutes and released it as a theatrical feature, which did huge business. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award as a documentary. Neat. It didn't win, but it was nominated because people wanted to go to the theater to see it because, remember, in 55, people are watching this on a little itty-bitty TV screen in black and white. Mm -hmm. Now imagine going to a movie theater and seeing it on a 40-foot-high screen in Technicolor. Yeah. And Walt had filmed all of this in Technicolor, right? Yeah. So uh, at his own expense. And uh, what basically happened is uh, President Eisenhower requested a copy of the TV show to show to the Pentagon brass to uh, convince them that we, the U.S., needed an aggressive space program. Yeah. And and so a month later, Eisenhower announces, yes, we're going to be launching a satellite, you know, uh, out into space. And so it, there's always been some debate about how influential, you know, that film was. We, we know that when Walt did the film Victory Through Air Power, that Winston Churchill loved the film so much that uh, when he met with FDR, he had uh, Disney send a copy of the film so FDR could see it. Mm -hmm. So that FDR then shifted, uh, you know, uh, to let's do an air war, you know, because uh, the Navy kept saying no. Battleships, battleships are the way to, to to win the war. And then after seeing Disney's film Victory Through Air Power, it was like, oh my gosh, with with airplanes you can do this, you can do this, you know. And yeah. and again, Victory Through Air Power, very similar to the Man in Space uh, uh, three episodes where you know you start with a history and 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 you put in some uh, comic humorous stuff of you know uh, things that fell apart and didn't work and all of that, and then you go into having experts talk, and then you finish off with this animated sequence that shows this is what it would look like if we went with this. Yeah. And um, so uh, newspapers were saying, uh, you know, uh, only half-jokingly, you know, uh, the U.S. Should uh, turn over the uh, space program to uh, Disney because <laughs> Disney has a vision, has a plan. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, somewhere in my head, I'm thinking a young JFK is seeing this that maybe yes. inspired him later, and maybe even a young Gene Roddenberry is seeing well, this. Well, I'll, 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 I'll give you an even specific example, uh, Jeremy. Stephen Bales was a young boy who saw these shows in the 1950s. He later became a, uh, and was so inspired by this, he became a NASA guidance operator in mission control for the Apollo 11 mission. Cool. And, and, and when reporters interviewed him, he said, you know, what was it like, you know, doing this historic mission? And, and he said, it was like the Walt Disney show coming to life. Oh, cool. And, and, and in fact, uh, when Apollo 8 
orbited the um, uh, moon, uh, uh, Werner von Braun, uh, again, who is a consultant on these, he, he, w- he was working on the uh, Redstone uh, uh, Arsenal uh, uh, rockets, and then it, it was von Braun who later launched America's very first satellite, Explorer 1, wow. you know, in, into orbit. Um, but uh, Werner von Braun, when Apollo 8 made the uh, orbit around the moon, uh, made a long-distance call to Ward Kimball, who was the writer and, and, and director of these uh, Tomorrowland shows, and he said, Ward, they're following our script, <laughs> Be- because going around the orbit for the moon was exactly the way that Disney had envisioned it in the 1955 show, Tomorrowland show, uh, Man in the Moon. You know, it, it always reminded me of, uh, of course, Walt passed, uh, passed uh, uh, away, you know, long before, uh, you know, the orbit of the moon and the landing on the moon and, and, and all of that. But when Walt Disney World opened, uh, Roy Disney was, was standing there on opening day, and one of the Disney executives looked at him and said, boy, it's a shame that Walt uh, couldn't have seen this. And Roy just smiled and looked to him and he said, he did. And that, that was it. Walt's imagination, Walt's vision w- was, was so amazing that given enough information, he could clearly see what something was going to be. And so years before orbiting the moon, years before landing on the moon, years before the space shuttle, which Walt, by the way, introduced in the Man in Space first episode in 1955, um, Walt had seen it. Walt, and, and in fact, even more than that, because in 1965, uh, Werner von Braun was the uh, uh, director of uh, NASA, and, and he was getting frustrated in 65 that the uh, space program seems to have stalled, that, you know, they weren't pushing, you know, to, to go to the uh, to the moon and, and, and beyond. And so he invited, um, uh, Walt and his brother Roy and, and, and a couple of the, uh, the Disney artists out to, uh, tour the NASA facilities. Wow. And so, and so at the Houston facility, Walt actually got into a simulator <laughs> and on his first try, did a successful docking mission in space <laughs> and also successfully landed a lunar vehicle on the moon after two previous uh, airline pilots uh, who had years of experience had missed both of those. <laughs> Walt, at the age of 63, got it the very first time. <laughs> And, and and von Braun had had invited you know Walt out to um, you know basically get him all excited so that he would do another TV series because the first three had gotten America so excited you know do another TV series and and so it, it was going to be called um, Man in Space Then and Now in in fact. Uh, the Disney Archives has the script and has uh, some of the pre-production notes on this. And so what it would have done is it would have compared the very first Man in Space uh, episode 
with where they were now 10 years later mm. and how many of those things had had come true and actually how um in 1955, uh, some of the predictions that Disney was making were really pretty conservative, <laughs> you know, <laughs> considering, yeah. you know, uh, what, what, was, what was going to, to be accomplished. And, and, of course, Walt wanted people to experience this. So, you know, uh, getting back to extinct Disneyland, um, uh, when it opened in 1955, there was an attraction called uh, uh, Rocket to the Moon. Yeah, where uh, you know uh, the pre-show was like a 15-minute uh, um, uh, movie taken from you know Man in Space to to show you know what a flight to the moon would be like and whatever, and then you went into this uh, circular theater which had like uh, three tiers of seats, and and you know you sat in the seat, and then down in 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 front of you is this big scanner on the floor, and then up on the ceiling is this big scanner so you can see as you were leaving and then where you were where you were going and uh, Walt of course being the great showman put air jacks underneath the seat and so literally uh, when you're taking off the air jack is pushing up underneath your seat so you feel yourself starting to rise oh, and then wow. it would drop suddenly so you got that few seconds of weightlessness <laughs> You know, this is 55, you know, yeah. for, for this to, to, to happen. And you, you, you actually take the trip, you know, around the moon, even to the dark side, because nobody had seen the dark side. And, you know, fire off flares from the ship so that you can – and the dark side looks pretty much like the light <laughs> side. But, right. um, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's also exciting to, to, to do this. Uh, uh, Imagineer Tony Baxter told me, he, he said, I, I just love that attraction. He said, but it, uh, as a kid, it took me forever to realize, my gosh, there's this carpet going into the theater. What happens when we take off? You know, is the carpet <laughs> dragging on the outside? You know, because we went through the, this little uh, hallway to get, to get into, the, into the rocket. And, and the, it was supposed to be the Moonliner you were in. And, and the Moonliner was the big icon of the park, and that was designed by uh, John Hench, but it was uh, designed with input from uh, Werner von Braun, so it looked an awful lot like the V-2 rockets that von Braun was um, uh, developing in uh, 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 Germany. And, and in fact, von Braun's uh, autobiography was, uh, I aim at the stars. Wow. And uh, comedian Mort Saul in the 50s said... Uh, uh, his subtitle should have been, but sometimes I hit London. <laughs> and, 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 and so after World War II, you know, uh, both the Americans and the Russians did not have a rocket program. So they went in, and after World War II, that's why they grabbed up all these uh, German rocket scientists and all of the V-2s and, and things like this so that they could start their own uh, uh, rocketry program. So... Uh, Rocket to the Moon w was, uh, you know, uh, uh, really uh, uh, terrific. But uh, for uh, the redo of uh, Disneyland in '67, they uh, upgraded it to um, uh, Flight to the Moon, and so um, it, it was a, a, a bigger theater. And uh, a again, you know, you're you're going to do that uh, trip to the moon, but the pre-show now 
has uh, uh, audio animatronics, including uh, uh, the control center uh, director, Mr. Tom Morrow. Yeah. And not only was he audio animatronic, but this was the first time that an audio animatronic was interacting with a um, a Disneyland host. The mm. Disneyland host would be asking questions, and uh, Tom Morrow would be answering these. And and the audience was just, you know, oh my gosh, how 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 can this possibly be? Uh, and and of course, Disneyland cast members being human. After they would get bored, since they knew exactly what uh, you know Morrow would be saying, sometimes they would uh, create non <laughs> you know, uh, for Morrow to do this. But again, the the real upgrade was inside the theater. Was uh, you still had the the uh, screen down below and the screen up above, but. Um, you had screens on the side, so as you were approaching the moon, you saw uh, astronauts on the moon, and oh, cool. they were tossing each other around, you know, to demonstrate weightlessness. And you saw a moon base in the background, and and so this is 1967. This is amazing. Well, in 1969, <laughs> we land on the moon. Right. And, and, and in fact, some people were really disappointed that the astronauts weren't tossing each other around <laughs> in the air like, like they had been, you know, in, in the Disneyland attraction. And uh, it, actually, uh, the Disney execs were a little upset because they had partnered with NASA and NASA had withheld, you know, information, including like the actual design of the moon landing vehicle, you know. And and so the the Disney thing was almost instantly outdated. So it, it later got the overlay for um, uh, Mission to Mars, you know. And and uh, Tom Morrow got replaced by uh, Mr. Johnson. And uh, again, you you did uh, hyperspace penetration to to go to Mars. But uh, by then, you know. Uh, uh, People weren't uh, as, as interested, you know. Between '69 and '72, you had uh, six manned uh, landings on, on the moon, so it, yeah. it wasn't like, you know, oh yeah, that's really terrific, you know. It it just uh, didn't do it, and and so um, at Disneyland, it, it was going to be planned uh, that what they did at Walt Disney World is they replaced Mission uh, to Mars with uh, uh, the extraterrestrial uh, alien encounter, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, had a interesting uh, history of how that uh, uh, developed, and that proved actually to be too scary uh, for uh, Disney audiences. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be... Um, uh, Michael Eisner had licensed the uh, rights to the 20th Century Fox movie Alien, and so it was actually going to be Alien that, that is transported into the theater. And the Imagineers uh, thought this doesn't sound like it's very Disney, you know. <laughs> yeah. But but by golly, by having Alien there, uh, they did surveys. Eighty percent of the people who had been to Disneyland had seen the movie or heard of the movie. 
so they did, Imagineers didn't have to worry about a backstory, and also it would warn them that, boy, this isn't acceptable for kids. Yeah. Well, Eisner decided to save money by not going with, you know, the alien, you know, create your Imagineers, create your own malevolent alien. Yeah. And so now they're struggling to try and come up with a backstory, try to warn people. But but kids who have been riding Dumbo and meeting Mickey suddenly go into this same attraction <laughs> and, you know, ah! and, yeah. and so, uh, it, again, that gets... Uh, uh, changed over to uh, uh, Stitch's uh, Great Escape, you know. And I'm one of the that... weirdos that actually like that that attraction. I enjoyed Stitch's Great Escape. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, and it, it well supposedly it's still there. It's just seasonal. But <laughs> yeah, when not Disney for long, says I guess. So, when Disney says something like that, I don't believe it one bit. Oh yes, we're just going on hiatus for you know ten, fifteen years. Uh, you know. Uh, that doesn't happen, but yeah. but you know, um, uh, Mission to Mars, uh, the uh, the Disneyland and Walt Disney World uh, attraction there actually inspired the uh, Brian De Palma uh, film uh, Mission to Mars that was released in uh, 2000 because that was part of uh, Walt Disney Studios uh, chairman uh, uh, Dick Cook's uh, uh, initiative that uh, attractions should be changed should be transformed into films. Yeah. And even though it didn't follow what the attraction was, interestingly enough, the film inspired uh, an attraction at uh, uh, Epcot, Mission Space. Yep. And and so you have uh, Gary Sinise, who's an actor in the film, is also you know uh, doing uh, the pre-show uh, for that. And so uh, you know, uh, space and Disney have a, a lot of things in common, you know, that, that sense of optimism, mm -hmm. um, that sense of imagination, you know, uh, uh, one of the reasons that mission space is where it is. And, and, uh, before that horizons, which, which had a, a, a space element to it is, uh, Disney was originally planning an entire space pavilion. Mm. And so as you walked into the pavilion, you were in this space station, and and there were different sections of the space station, in, in, including this uh, uh, sort of overhead gondola ride that would take you out into the cosmos and things like that. But but again, what they did is they had difficulty trying to uh, uh, find a sponsor, you know, uh, uh, to pay for this. And uh, you know, Horizons got built because. Uh, uh, General Electric, you know, had had gotten tired of Carousel of Progress and wanted something new. And uh, what I always liked was in Horizons is there were were some uh, references, some callbacks to uh, Carousel of Progress. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, in there. And uh, now uh, what is happening is uh, tomorrow happens very quickly. Uh, <laughs> yes. In in 1995, I got to interview John Lasseter and. Uh, uh, was talking about Toy Story, and he said, well, Jim, you know, there's only two type." And I was telling him that I was struggling, you know, to learn how to use a computer. And he said, well, Jim, there's only uh, two types of computers. And I said, well, no, that, that, that's not true. There's all these different... He says, no, no, there's only two types of computers, prototypes and obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> 
and 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 that is very true about the future. It's it's constantly rushing at you. You know, mm-hmm. Tomorrowland quickly became yesterday land. So yeah. So so Disney literally had to come up with the idea of let's make it a retro future. Yeah. You know, the 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 future that people saw in magazines and in movies in the 30s and 40s and 50s, you know, where everybody would have jet packs and, you know, yeah. your 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 di- your dinner would be a pill that, that yep. you would Skin take and it would be a four-course meal and um all of that so so that that would keep it up to date. And and what has happened is Walt always wanted things to be science factual, not science fictional. And now with uh, we're shifting more with with Buzz Lightyear, with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, we're we're shifting into the science fantasy yeah. aspect because because this is what uh, 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 people want. And and so with Galaxy's Edge, people are now going to be, um, you know, entering a world where it's just completely immersive. You're you're yeah. on the planet. Batu and 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 you're not buying any merchandise that's Disneyland merchandise. You're only buying merchandise that's available in Batu, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you, everybody is dressed like that, and 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 the Disney cast members are interacting with you as if they are that. And and out here in uh, in Florida, not only are we going to uh, get Galaxy's Edge, but they're going to be building a, a, a Star Wars hotel. Yeah. Where, where the windows are going to be the uh, high-definition uh, television screens. So yeah. you're looking out and, and you know, you're in outer space. You, you are now part uh, of, of that uh, entire experience. And, and I guess uh, if I live long enough, I, I may be writing a, a, a book about uh, secret stories of extinct Walt Disney World, and, <laughs> and and maybe Star Wars Galaxy's Edge will will be one of those chapters that uh, you know, like like Captain EO and uh, uh, so many other things, you know, just aren't there anymore. You know that that you know the uh, the the rocket jets. You know the Adventures through inner space, the, yeah. all of these things. But as I said, fortunately, some of the old stories exist in Secret Stories of Extinct Disneyland. So I hope people will go to Amazon.com or ThemeParkPress.com uh, and pick that up. And uh, as a special for those who listen to this podcast, this is uh, this is the first announcement. It doesn't exist on any other podcast. That's why you should listen to this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my new book that will be coming out this summer is called uh, Disney Neverlands, which is about uh, Disney projects that were announced but never built, like uh, Westcott. And uh, uh, we, we talked on the previous program about uh, St. Louis Riverfront Square. I've, mm-hmm. I've included that in there and the um, – uh, the Mineral King Ski Resort, as, as well as animated films like the, uh, the feature film on, on Hiawatha, uh, you know, the Roger Rabbit uh, 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 sequels that were going to be done. Uh, I, I talk about TV shows that uh, were, were uh, planned and, and filmed but sometimes never shown, like 
uh, Jim Henson's uh, Little Mermaid's Island, which would have been a show for the Disney Channel, very much like Dumbo Circus and uh, Winnie the Pooh and, and all that, where you have a live-action aerial, but all the other things are uh, puppets, Jim Henson uh, 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 puppets. So Flounder is a, uh, a puppet, and he's got a, a, a sister, and uh, uh, you got the eels and and all of that, because I've always been fascinated that for every project that Disney has done, there are hundreds or thousands of projects that they worked on that yeah. never got, you know, n- never got uh, uh, produced, you know. And so once again, I feel we better start putting some of these things down in a book so that people can read them and... Uh, and, and maybe you'll have me back on in the future, Jeremy, and, we, and we'll, oh, talk, we'll talk about some of those. <laughs> <laughs> Any old time. It gives me and, a bit and, of time and, off. And, I can just sit back and listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you have to realize, Jeremy, I'm, I'm a former junior high school uh, teacher, so I'm in love with the sound of my own voice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, in fact, the first time I heard myself speak, I, I was just so in awe, I had nothing to say because, <laughs> because it, it was there. And, and as a junior high school teacher, you have to keep on talking or else they start throwing things or they fall asleep. <laughs> And and and, I, and I'm sure and I'm sure your listeners are are much more mature than, than to do something like that. But um, this has been a great deal of fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. No problem, and thanks for coming on because I always get to learn some new stuff. And uh, and this is and this really you know you you start thinking about with where where the parks are going, especially in Walt Disney World, because we're getting a space-themed restaurant in Epcot. Right. We're building a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of pavilion to learn about space. So it's like we're getting a lot of space fantasy, and we even have Pandora in there, but yet somewhere they're still going to try to squeeze some nuggets of truth in there to maybe we can still get people excited about the possibilities of going to Mars and and maybe we won't roll our eyes so much when Trump says stuff about a space force. A, a space force <laughs> and, and all that. And and. Jeremy, do you want to go into space? Yeah, I'd love to. I probably wouldn't survive the trip, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and again, maybe that's a question you should ask your listeners. Do you want to go into space? Because I found that there are some people who are fascinated with outer space, but they have no desire to go out there. Just like there are people who are fascinated by the sea, but they don't want to go on a cruise ship. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, those of us and, we watch and, Star Wars and imagine what's out there, and then we watch Gravity and imagine when it could go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, and and yeah. Oh my God. Well, and and you know, I was invited as a speaker twice uh, to the Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. Uh, once in uh, uh, 2011, and then uh, later in uh, 2014 to do presentations on. Uh, uh, Walt and uh, his love of space, mm. and uh, and and just focusing on Walt Disney and space and and the first uh, uh, Disney space movie that was made, uh, Moon Pilot in 1962, mm. and and in fact Walt went out to the Vandenberg um, uh, Air Force Base just to see an, the launching of an Atlas rocket, so that you know they wanted to get things as accurate as possible for that film, even though it was a uh, a, a comedy there, you know, and uh, with some Sherman Brothers uh, songs, and actually the very first film appearance 
of Sally Field, but wow. her her part her part is so small. Uh, she actually plays a beatnik. Her part is so small. <laughs> she she's not in the credits there. But uh, uh, so again, a, a lot of stuff for us uh, uh, to talk about in, in the future. If your listeners are uh, are interested, and and I thank them for for putting up with with. Uh, all of this and uh, listening for as long as they have. And now we've got a list of things when Disney Plus comes out, since they're supposed to have this entire library. I want to be able to watch all these things you've mentioned. Yes. Well, a lot of people want to watch Song of the South, but I don't think that's going to be on (laughs) Disney Plus. I'm hoping all this other stuff will, though, because I don't see any good reason to not put any of these old classic films on there, really. It'd be great to go and and see it. And there's still, even though some of the material is dated, Yeah. They're still entertaining, and again, they're still optimistic, you know, because yeah. uh, Walt believed that there really is a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, and, and, and that would come thanks to the wonders of American technology that would solve so many of our, our uh, problems and so many of our needs and wants. And maybe it would be like Star Trek when we finally make contact where we get uh, somewhere out in space. The entire world will look at that and say, you know what? All this other stuff isn't that important. Look where we're going, you know. Yes. Well, I, I think once we get out in space, we'll realize, hey, you know, everybody on Earth looks pretty much the same, you know. Yeah. Uh, but out here, it's all different. So, you know, we, we should appreciate, you know, we're all pretty much the same down here. And from up here, you all look like little ants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that great big blue marble of Spaceship Earth, you know, uh, going through the, the galaxy there. Oh, indeed. All right, well, we'll definitely have to have you back on and talk about some more of these stories, especially when this next book comes out, because more fun stuff is coming. All right. So. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit patreon.com slash neverlandpodcast to donate to keeping the pixie dust alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! This is Yeehaw Bob Jackson, Neverland Podcast, we love you, Neverland Podcast, we love you, Neverland Podcast, it's true, Neverland Podcast, we 